This Women's Agenda podcast series, The Leadership Lessons, is supported by Salesforce. Across all sectors in Australia, people with disabilities are underrepresented, underserved and undersupported. But there's a large and growing community that's calling for change and it's led by my next guest. I'm Kate Mills, the host of Women's Agenda's new podcast series, The Leadership Lessons, supported by Salesforce. In this episode, I'm joined by disability advocate Lisa Cox. She's a woman that has lived with multiple visible and invisible disabilities since she was in her 20s. For the last 10 years, Lisa has devoted her passion, energy and voice to challenging the status quo and building a movement called Hashtag Visibility for Disability, which now has more than 100,000 engaged followers. So Lisa, it's really fantastic that you're here with us today for Women's Agenda. So thank you very much. I know that you've got an absolutely incredible story because I've read a lot about you. I would say to people if I was describing you that you work to make disability visible. But why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, your disability and how you got here? Sure. I guess the easiest way would be to go back to when I was 24 or so and I'd been to university, got my degrees, moved to Melbourne, started working full-time in advertising. Been there for a few years and then at the airport one morning I had a brain hemorrhage or a stroke. Spent three weeks in a coma, two months on life support and over a year in hospital after that. So during that first year my left leg, right toes and nine fingers were amputated. I had heart surgery twice and a total hip replacement and I still still go back in every now and again and have multiple invisible disabilities. So I'm over 25% blind now and have epilepsy as well. So that in a nutshell is my my health journey. But before that, I worked a lot in media and advertising. It was an industry that I absolutely love and still do today. So I've since found a way to sort of combine my professional background with my lived experience these days. And how do you combine that? You're, you're a motivational speaker, essentially. How does that How does that show, if you like? Well, I'd spent so many years creating visibility for my clients, their products, brands, messages, etc. Um, and it was only once I had that lived experience with disability, I realised I could essentially apply the same strategies and principles to help bring awareness to something far more important than the European cars I was, <laughs> I was previously advertising and um, so just just took that idea of creating visibility for disability in popular culture because there is a, an underrepresentation and a misrepresentation and I come at it from two perspectives one as a media professional with with some years under my belt but secondly as a really passionate disability advocate you know, reading your story or listening to your story, what really comes through for me is the idea and the theme of resilience. Before the accident, did you think of yourself as a resilient person? Not really. <laughs> to be honest, if you'd, if you'd told me several years ago that this is what's going to happen, you're going to spend over a year in hospital and you'll lose your leg, end up in a wheelchair and I would have been absolutely devastated, fallen in the hip and gone. There's no way me or anyone can possibly can possibly overcome that. But I I love my life today. I have opportunities that I, I never would have had if it had not been for disability. And sure, there are challenges. It's, I'm not going to pull you out of the situation. There are absolutely challenges. But, yeah, it's, I've, I've got on with 
got on with life in the same way that I, I got on with challenges in in sporting arena or something like that or in, in business um, pre-disability. So, so that resilience, was that learned, do you think, or, or was it something that in the end you realised you could just draw on a really deep resource of it? Growing up, I, I played a lot of sport and volleyball was my thing and rock climbing. And when you lose a point or miss a, miss a hand grip or something, you can't sit down, have a tantrum, feel sorry for yourself and woe is me and be miserable about it for weeks. You have to get up, get over it and move on quickly as any of your listeners who've played a lot of competitive sport will know and I was playing representative sport at a fairly high level so that was a lesson that I learned over many years um, time and time again and then as a writer in advertising some of your listeners may know that you might come up with a hundred ideas and you're lucky if two of those get through so hearing no a lot um, having my ideas rejected and those sorts of things, even though they're completely different to the situation in hospital, it did provide me with a little bit of of learning that I could draw on. You you write on your website that before the accident happened, you you just got your dream job. Uh, So so what was it? I was a copywriter in advertising agencies and I'd I'd been doing it for a few years at different advertising agencies, but this one that I'd just been promoted to, they were fantastic. They had the most unbelievable client base, great staff and um, ticked all the boxes, so to speak. And that was that was my dream job because I loved copywriting. I really, really did. I was winning awards for my work and really enjoying it. I always said that I felt really lucky to have the job that I did and couldn't believe that I was getting paid to do something that I loved so much. And now when I look on your website, it says you're on a mission to muse, educate and challenge. So translate that for me and our listeners. What's the change that you're working towards and how will you know when this is done? The simplest way to describe it would be the representation of disability in mainstream popular culture. So that's what I'm I'm looking to change. And there are other people doing this as well. So popular culture can be, be anything from the fashion industry to media to even a brand's Instagram feed or, or something as simple as that. But I guess the the reason I'm focusing in on that is that I'm not in politics or healthcare or education or something like that. So even though there are absolutely changes that need to be made in those areas, I don't have years of experience there like I do in media and advertising with pop culture. So it's it's kind of where my where my focus lies, I guess. You, you know, talking, you're, you're a disability advocate, um, that's that's one of your roles. And I was mm-hmm. thinking about it as to how 30, 40 years ago, disability was mostly invisible. I mean, I remember uh, growing up, I grew sure. up in a small village and there was a young boy who had a disability there and he didn't come out, he didn't come to our school, you know, he, he wasn't included effectively. Yeah, so true. now, I mean, thanks to lots of changes, including advocates like yourself, that has really changed. What do you think has changed the most and what still needs to change? I have seen little changes um, over over the years, and again, there's, there have been changes in education, government policy, and things like that. But I'll I'll stick to what I know best, which is seeing inclusion in popular culture. So it's it's only really really small things, but they're the sorts of things that definitely would have happened wouldn't have happened twenty years ago or even ten years ago. So 
I know recently I saw a picture of in Target, Target Australia, on the wall, one of the kids just happened to be in a wheelchair and it was incidental inclusion, which is great. It wasn't, no, no big deal was made of it. But that sort of thing um, was shared by the likes of Dylan Olcott, another really fantastic disability advocate. But that would never have happened 10 or 20 years ago. So we're seeing some, some really small changes, which hopefully have a trickle-down effect. I've been asked to, to model on catwalks and, and things like that. Again, they're not the sorts of things that would have happened 10, 20, definitely not 30 or 40 years ago as well. So we are seeing little bits of inclusion here and there. We'd just like to see it more consistently. So, so what else still needs to change, do you think? A really, a really simple, actionable thing to do would be for your listeners to pick their favourite brand on Instagram, it's a clothing brand, and just scroll through a feed and see how many times someone with a disability is, is used there. So seeing people with disabilities as valuable consumers is not only a, you know, socially responsible thing to do, it's also really, really smart business. Because as I've said in previous interviews, I can't walk, but I can shop. And so can my, my friends with disabilities as well. So it's a 20% market share that's, that's just being ignored. So from a um, an ethical point of view and from a, a financial point of view, it's it's ridiculous. Well, it's interesting because the bottom line does drive a lot of decisions. So it's interesting when you put it in that framework of, you know, I can't walk, but I can shop. You know, that's certainly something that I think you're right. A lot of companies would listen to. I also know that in one of your roles as a writer, um, you've written Mm -hmm. two books. Um, I say, you know, I'm generally in awe of people who've written just one book. So if someone's (laughs) written two, that's amazing. How do you approach your craft? In hospital during that first year, all the tools of my trade as a writer were, were taken away. So none of my fingertips were amputated. I lost over 25% of my eyesight and my brain from the stroke has permanent scarring, which means things like fatigue and concentration aren't great. So as a writer, losing all the tools of my trade was was devastating. And despite that, I, I still wanted wanted to write again and had to teach myself how to write again. So it wasn't a matter of getting out of hospital and writing two books. It was sitting at the kitchen table for hours on end on a really crummy laptop and just teaching myself how to type with my new hands, new eyes, and and things like that. So for the first couple of weeks or months, actually, mum would have to scribe for me. She would sit down beside me and scribe letters and then go away and email them to friends because I, I couldn't hold a pen or a pencil and certainly couldn't use a, a keyboard. So it's been a, a long, long trip back to writing again, but, but once a writer, always a writer. I've interviewed a couple of other writers about why they do what they do over the years and it's it's something that some of your listeners might understand. It's, it's just part of what you do. It's a part it's a way that I, I process a lot of thoughts and things like that. And these days I'm, I'm really enjoying using it to, to help shine some light on issues in the disability sector. 
Yeah, it's interesting when you say that, you know, it's a difficult story, but it's such a great story, you know, like learning to write again, you know, that thing that you learn to do when you first go to school and then at a later stage having to learn to write again and and think about how it is a process, it's a way of thinking writing, you know. So, That's right. Yeah, it's beautiful that you've brought that back into your life. I've said previously that um, I'm grateful for where my um, brain injury occurred, my the stroke, the, the bleed. And that's certainly not to say I'm grateful for a, a brain injury, but specifically where it occurred because even though I lost my eyesight and my um, my speech has, has bad moments and lots of other things, I've still retained my language centres. So I'm, I can't touch type anymore and things like that. But the fact that if, if the brain bleed had occurred maybe an inch to the right or left or up or down, things will be very different and I, I may not be able to write. So I'm, I'm very grateful to still have writing in my life. Do you use um, technology like audio technology to, to automatically write it for you or do you actually type? I, I actually type on the desktop, desktop computer. I have used voice to text a few times on my phone. It's a bit hit and miss though. Um, and like I said before, my, my voice can just have its it's bad moments as well. So I've sent a few messages and then had to go back and edit the whole thing. So it's, it's sometimes quicker if I just text it. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's, technology offers so much, but sometimes in the actual application of it, it can be a little bit hit and miss. So right. So, so when I was thinking uh, about you earlier, Lisa, I was thinking you kind of got two roles. You know, you've got the disability okay. advocate role, but obviously you do also do a lot of speaking and you write us. So I sort of put you in that sort of motivational speaker category. Would that, would that be the right category, do you think? It's one of them. <laughs> it's one of them. Yeah, I'm wearing a few hats these days, I suppose. The, the motivational speaking that I do is around things like body confidence and for, for women especially – Broken to to all different different age groups. I'm a mental health presenter with beautiful minds, and that's talking to teens about things like anxiety and depression, and all of those mental health challenges and ways that you can you can get through them and get get over them or get get past them. Be a bit more resilient, I suppose. We were speaking about that earlier. Things that they can can take on into the into the years that come. I mean, you said resilience again, so let's come back okay. there. Well, that's where sure. we started. And it's something I wanted to explore, I guess, partly because putting it in the context of this year. I mean, if there was if there was one year in, in recent years where you've oh. needed resilience, this is the year. What a are, shit show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> are people having more conversations and thinking about resilience, like, you know, around you? And what's your view on how we develop resilience? Sure, people are definitely having real conversations about it, which is which is a really really great thing to see. I um, wrote a piece recently about the fact that this year people really seem to have focused or understood that um, mental health and mental well being and mental fitness is far far more important than a bikini body or or something like that. So my newsfeed was full of of those sorts of things instead, which was good to see. I want to have my discussions with, with the teams or anyone around around mental health. It's it's about my own story, but as since I'm not a, a professional, it's encouraging them to not be ashamed if they do have some challenges and to seek that professional help. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear you say those phrases like, you know, mental fitness, you know, the focus on that rather than necessarily body fitness. Um, I'm going to share with you something someone said to me about resilience, and I'd be really interested in your view on it. Yeah. I saw this speaker a few years ago, and he was talking about some research he'd done on resilience. And he said that often we see resilience as recovering from the punch. You know, we get hit, we get knocked down, we get back yep. up again. Yep. But he said another way of looking at resilience is to look at shaping the environment around you so you don't get punched. And, you know, that might be categorized as really paying attention to your mental fitness when things are good, if you know what Mm -hmm. I mean, so that when things are bad, you're stronger. What do you think about those two views of resilience? Do you think, I I think about that kind of, I I think about the theory that resilience is getting back up when you get hit as being quite an old fashioned view of resilience. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think it would be a bit of a case by case basis. Only in my experience, it was, I know that that get punched down and get back up scenario did did help me a little bit, but there have certainly been other situations, both in hospital and just, just now even, where I've thought back to how I've approached something in the past, how I've got over a certain challenge or whatever it may be, and used that use that positive I suppose as as fuel for, for getting through this challenge but just just quickly going back to to resilience I know a lot of people are, are losing their shit at the moment and rightfully so in in isolation but I do ask that people maybe have a empathy is different from sympathy but I've been in isolation for the last 15 years to be completely honest with you and Isolation has been horrible. I was a mess when the gym was closed and I couldn't see my family and friends. But for so many people in the disability community who I've spoken with, life's kind of continuing as normal. And if I don't want to say a good thing to come out of Corona because nothing good has come of this, but let's just hope there's, there's a little more understanding about what that permanent isolation and loneliness and all the things that come with it can be like for some people with disabilities. Yeah, look, that it is really interesting. And I think that the current crisis has shone a light on many issues like that. You know, yeah. lots of people who do feel isolated, you know, and do feel lonely, you know, they talk about the epidemic of loneliness that's coming and how that's going to impact on us. So challenging year, when you look ahead to this decade, what do you think about in terms of challenges and how we're going to meet them? How do you think the rest of the decade is going to play out? Well, uh, I'll stick to what I know best, which is media and representation in pop culture. And I can only hope that we'll see more of the same um, and brands don't see using a disabled person in an advertisement, for example, as something they do as a one-off to tick the diversity box. Um, I can only hope that it becomes just a a really normal thing to do in the same way, I suppose, to, to compare something like plus-size models. 20 years ago, I'm old enough to remember when the first size 12 was on a magazine cover and everyone lost their minds. But these days, it's a lot more accepted. It's it's just a, a normal, quote-unquote, way to, way to view marketing and advertising so some some more diversity would be would be absolutely great to see i do work with media diversity australia um and there are working journalists trying to change representations in the media newsroom specifically 
and a lot of that's around cultural representation, just addressing the fact that our screens are not reflecting the society um, that they're in and our, our media is not reflecting the society which it serves. So in the next decade or so, I'd like to see a lot more incidental inclusion of disability, but for it to become less of a um, something you really have to think about and push and encourage, but just uh, a quite quite normal thing to do. Mm, there's so much in what you say there. I um, I'm half black and I've got frizzy hair, mm-hmm. and I think I was about 25 before I ever saw someone who looked like me yes. in media. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a fa- it was in a fashion shoot, and I remember being shocked at the realization and also quite sad you know I kind of yeah. thought it makes me sad that I'd spent so much time not seeing someone who looked like me you know and, 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 and I think people underestimate the impact that that has on people yeah well I I grew up as a, a white kid um in suburban Australia so I, I certainly can't say that I I have experience with disability there but even though I, you know, had a, a few little challenges like, like acne and those sorts of things, at least when I looked to the media, I saw people like me, other little blonde kids running around. Um, I saw other women in politics, other other women in advertising, other women in positions of power and government, etc. But these days I look at it through a different lens um, with disabilities and I'm to be honest, I'm so bloody grateful to be here. I'm not supposed to be alive. I, my family got a call to say, come to Melbourne. Lisa's probably not going to be alive in the morning. And I'd be a fool not to do something with my life with the skill set that I still have um, in media, not to try and, and shake things up a little bit and change the way things currently are for children who are, who are growing up with a disability or acquiring a disability. Uh, so, Lisa, you know, you, you've got so much wisdom to share with our listeners. So I want to just pull out one last little bit. So, look, it has been, as you mentioned, a crazy year. What's your message of resilience to our listeners? Okay, two things. One is that you are stronger than you think. So one day you'll look back on this year and go, you know what, I, I did it. And it, it was shit, but I actually did it and I, I didn't didn't do too badly um in the same way I look I look back at my first year in hospital and think I can't believe I did that if you told me prior to what happening that that's what would happen I never would have believed you but it turns out that we are all stronger than we give ourselves credit for and the, the second thing is that it will it will pass so do do hang in there and remember that you're, you're stronger than you think. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed the podcast. The episode was produced as ever by Lisa Gebelagin. If you've enjoyed the episode, then don't forget to subscribe and please leave us a rating. If you want more from Women's Agenda, visit womensagenda.com.au. Look forward to seeing you next week.
Women's Agenda is proud to partner with Salesforce on this podcast series. As the world's leading CRM, Salesforce continues to be a different kind of Fortune 500 company, one that cares and gives back to the community, yet innovates like a startup. Equality is a core value at Salesforce and as a business, believes that its higher purpose is to drive equality for all. For more, visit salesforce.com.